I have been fired from some of the greatest people. Uh, Michael Mann was one of my favorite firings ever. <laughs> instead of Ali. I'll, I'll no tell way. you that story. Real quick. He, uh, yeah, I please. Was, <laughs> I was working as uh, basically a camera intern at that time on the movie on Ali. This was in Miami. And I remember walking over to uh, the, the, I was at the, um, uh, the crafty stand, right? So where all the food is and stuff like that. And someone asked me to get something. Oh, hey, can you help me? So I like reach over and I grab something. While I was grabbing it, I'm kind of like bent over. Michael Mann came over and I guess it was like his coffee or something like wasn't right. And he was mad because it wasn't right so many times in a row. And let's just say this is a very fiery guy. He, um, and there's plenty of stories online that you can read about. He got so mad, like threw some table, started to try and flip the table and fired the crafty guy. And then he turned to me and I'm on that side of the table and I got fired too, but I wasn't crafty. Right, right, right. You're just standing turned, there. <laughs> I'm just standing there. I'm just standing there. And I turned, I turned to like one of the production coordinators, managers, whatever that were there. And I'm like, uh, but I'm not even crafting. He's like, but Aaron, he thinks you are. So you got it. <laughs> That's it. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin. Hello. Hi. This week, we are very excited to welcome a very special guest. We're here with Aaron B. Coons. Hello, Aaron. Hey, how's it going? Nice to be here. Very good. Very, very excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, pleasure is all mine. I really appreciate you guys having me. I'm a fan. We know Aaron as the founder and CEO of Paper Street Pictures, the production company behind a ton of films, including uh, just from this year, uh, just to name a few, The Requin, starring Alicia Silverstone, Old Man, directed by Lucky McKee, and starring Stephen Lang, Blood Relatives, and more. Aaron is also a writer and director and has given us four of his own films in a pretty short amount of time, starting with A Camera Obscura in 2017, followed by Scare Package, and then The Pale Door. And now, premiering December 22nd on Shutter, Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge. We've seen it. We love it. And, and with that now, Aaron, you are the proud proprietor of a horror franchise. Oh, what the hell? That's a weird thing to hear said. That's got uh, to feel amazing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's completely crazy to me. Like a couple of times we've uttered the words, the Scare Package universe, and that just feels <laughs> odd. Because uh, this was never meant to be anything but a joke between my friends and I. Well, that, that kind of became something more. <laughs> well, that was my first question. You, you released Scare Package, I think hit the film festivals in 2019, was released in 2020. How did we get from Scare Package to franchise? How, how did Scare Package 2 come into being? Yeah, you know, I, this really was something that, so my first feature, Camera Obscura, my cut was actually never released to the public. And at that time, it was with a channel called Schiller, which was a subsidiary of NBC Universal. Oh, and yeah. Tom Cruise's The Mummy came out and like crashed a part of NBC because <laughs> it lost so much money. And our movie kind of got lost in the wash. And I was just so frustrated with that experience. It's also a very kind of depressing movie, to be honest. And I, you know, I was like, look, I, I don't know if I'm cut out for this industry. I don't know if I can do this. But I'm going to take one more shot and I'm going to make something totally different. It's going to be just with my friends, just some money, you know, whatever money we can scrape together and we'll figure this shit out. You know, we, we started shooting segments. We did not have all the money. It was just like, how are we going to do this? 
And then it really took off, you know, I mean, people have tattoos and they're, they dress up as, you know, rad Chad for Halloween and the devil's looking pillar and stuff. And it was just this weird thing that happened. And I think we really kind of hit some interesting zeitgeist of, you know, especially during the pandemic where I think people just wanted a fun escape. And I think, you know, we were so silly and took things in such a lighthearted way that I think that resonated. But then, you know, there's, um, I like to think there's like a real affinity for the horror genre here. And I think people started to see that and latched onto it. And so it, it became a, a little bit of a hit and we were like, well, what the hell now we killed rad Chad, you know, we killed Joe Bob. We killed like all the things that we could have done. That'd be a lot of fun. Like they're gone. You know, I killed Chase Williamson. Like, and, and so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what our options are. And then that summer, but I knew we needed to make one. And look, the easy answer to this was, well, just like go back and do a prequel and you're in the video store and just have Ratchet put in more tape so we could do that forever, you know? And like, that's fun. Don't get me wrong. I would have enjoyed doing that. I think there's some stuff we could have really had, you know, a playground there to kind of dive into. But I I wanted to do something different. I just wanted to kind of like, if they thought we were going to zig, let's zag. And that summer when I was writing this, the uh, the new Saw sequel was coming out and, uh, you know, Spiral. And I ended up watching all the Saw sequels and I was like, oh, wait, I'm making a movie about horror tropes. There are no bigger, bigger horror tropes than in sequels. So why don't we just lean into the sequel space and go more ridiculous with it? I mean, for God's sakes, you know, like, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis can cut off Michael Myers' head, you know, and H2O and he could show up in the next movie. Right. So like you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, you know, Carrie Elways somehow shows up in a later Saw sequel. Like you can do anything. So once we kind of had that, I was like, well, then this is what we need to kind of lampoon, but have, you know, but still kind of hug it at the same time and balance that. And I think once we landed in that, then we kind of had this weird idea and Shudder was on board. This one was was all funded by Shudder. Um, and a little bit private, you know, because we we had to pay for some stuff ourselves because we went a little crazy with it. But um, but yeah, it was never intended to have a sequel. It just was supposed to be this release valve of frustration in the industry. And somehow it created an itch that a lot of people had to scratch. And I'm so glad that it did. Yeah, I mean, the first scare package was like a love letter to horror. It was so many inside jokes. And when I saw the second one, I was like, holy shit. Like he just took it to 11. Uh, he just cranked it. So I've watched it three times now. And every single time I'm still picking up on just crazy little things that you drop in there. Um, and I mean, I, I, I love it. But not only did you get a, a sequel to an anthology, which I think is incredibly rare, but you did a sequel to a segment of an anthology <laughs> that I don't know that I've ever seen before. And honestly, I think, so. I think that was my favorite segment of the first scare package other than the wraparounds. H how did you pull this off? I mean, where where did you even get the idea to be like, let's do a sequel to an anthology? We'll, we'll totally, like you said, ignore the fact that we killed a bunch of people because it's horror. So we can bring anybody back that we want. It doesn't just have to be like the devil's like impaler. But let's also do a sequel to The Night He Came Back. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because, well, number one, the main reason was, you know, and, and Anthony Cousins just slated that first segment. I loved it in, you know, the first scare package. But what he did in that first scare package was a sequel, right? So he did the 90, 90 Came Back Again Part 4, The Final right, Kill. Right. 
And, and I was like, well, that's, that's fun. We were kind of talking about sequels a little bit there. So when you're making a movie about sequels, then you should do a sequel to your segment about sequels in the sequel, you know, and like really, I, I remember someone, Letterbox has really missed, uh, mixed on this movie. I've always have been. And I remember someone was just like, oh, this meta shit, I can't take it. Like, there's just no way. And I was like, man, I'm going to make the second one so much more. I'm going to lean into this in every way I can. And, you know, I, I, you know, became good pals with Anthony and he's such a talented filmmaker and he's actually making his first feature now. I'm so excited for him. And, but it was just this fun opportunity. Like that one just seemed like an obvious place to bring someone back. We thought about bringing all the directors back. That was one option that was brought up, but then some scheduling wouldn't have worked on a couple people. Then I was like, you know, let's, let's kind of, you know, go a little bit of a different direction and, and how we wanted to kind of attack this. And I, I just found that to be such a fun, it's all, it just was so perfectly in this next universe that we had to do it. And then more importantly, and you touched on this, I've never seen it before. I've never seen a sequel to a segment. And that alone was like, well, then shit, I got to do with that. We got to do this. So he actually wrote, him and John Carsco, his writer, very talented co-writer, they wrote another version as well that was part three that was a prequel um, but we kind of, for a couple of reasons, I won't say here, but we decided to go with, with part six and, um, it's just, it's just a blast, but I'm glad you pointed that out because that was a, it was like tough. Like you bring one back, you know, out of that group. And it, we're not trying to say one's better or anything like that. All those filmmakers were so wonderful, but, uh, it, it just was something that again, had to fit in this motif that we were trying to play with. And, and it did in every, every sense of the word. And I think he, he nailed it again. I think there's an opportunity there where you did part four in Scare Package 1, part six in Scare Package 2. So Scare Package 3, you can do five. It's there. It's there. Or or eight. We can go to Manhattan. We can go to Manhattan. Don't go there. Just don't go. Well, I mean, you'd probably make it funnier. Well, actually, you'd have a hard time making it funnier than the actual film that we got. That's true. I want to punch some heads off. So, yeah. As soon as I started Scare Package 2, that first, first thing, flashback. And I was like, oh, here, I mean, this is, talk about an 80s sequel franchise tribute. To me, that's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen that much anymore. It reminded me of, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, or, you know, any of the classic 80s. You know, you always have the flashback in the beginning. And then from there, I just realized quickly I'm not going to be able to even keep track of every reference that's flying by me. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to spot them. I'm not even going to remember all of them. But it made me curious, and also because you, you based it around the video store, which I love, made me curious about your horror origin story, your personal, where did this start for you? Yeah, no, well, well, first off, I will say, I love that you brought up the flashback at the beginning, because so far, I don't know of the people I've, I've done interviews with, that is a direct homage to Friday the 13th Part 2 and the opening right. of that, very specifically. She's actually even wearing a similar outfit yes. that she's wearing on that. Because on that, and, and like, if you watch Friday the 13th Part 2, it goes on forever of just her like, no, no. And then it's like these long, it's like they're just showing the whole movie. <laughs> the whole movie, right. That's the classic move. Yeah. <laughs> like our first our first cut of this was like, okay, let's do it, like match it. And I'm like, this is just absurd. We cannot, and we cut it from like four minutes down to like 50 seconds, you know, and where it is. So yeah, like even that, even though, and that's what we, we call, that was a twofer. That was one that was like of the era nostalgic but it was also a very specific friday 13th part two reference and the way that we shot it and you know her on the bed and all that but anyway just wanted to bring that up because i'm glad you you, you yeah. caught on to that 
Uh, you know, so I grew up, it, it was interesting because my, I grew up in a very Christian home. I wasn't allowed to watch horror films. And so I had to sneak around to find these. And, and one of those outlets was Joe Bob, uh, cause he came on to cable. So I was able to record his show. You know, they were edited a lot of times, you know, from Monster Vision and all that. So I didn't, I would always try. It was, I remember being this wonderful thing where I could find, you know, the unedited version. It was like a cool thing. But the real epiphany that kind of happened for me, and this is more kind of like grade school growing up, was my grandmother got HBO for free. And I realized that. So I went to her guest bedroom. I took VHS tapes. I put it on the SLP, like extended Shit, you know, you could do all yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Put that on there. <laughs> and I would record overnight. My mom at the time was doing taxes with my grandmother as like a side job. You know, we were very middle class and, you know, lower middle class. And she's trying to, you know, figure out whatever ends she could. And I'd have to go there every day after school. And I was always so frustrated. I'm like, I don't want to go to grandma's and all this. But then all of a sudden, my mom's like, why are you so excited to go to grandma's every day? And I'm like, uh, no reason. And that was because I knew I had a tape of horror films because that's what they would play. They didn't, at that time, HBO, Cinemax was the Skinemax thing, right? And HBO played horror and R-rated films overnight. Right. So that's what those were. So I was exposed to everything, you know, it'd be three movies a night. And I just, I couldn't believe what it felt like to, to be scared, to be exhilarated. Like it was just, I love movies, but I just didn't know you could experience them in that way. And the fact that they were this kind of forbidden fruit, if you will, just made them that much more exciting to me. Uh, and then the other big experience for me, there's two, I would say, is I, I remember going to my friend Matt White's house, and this was like after church on a Sunday, and we went to a grocery store, and we were going to rent a movie from the grocery store. That was like a thing that people did sometimes. Yep. And I remember we were picking up a movie, and I rented like Weekend of Bernie's or something else, and like in between that, I put Alien in there. And then his dad's like, Aaron, you can't get in. Mom's gonna, like, you, you can like sit with us and watch it with us, you know? And he's like, okay, but if you guys get scared, the movie go, gets turned off immediately. So I remember Matt and I cur- like cuddling up basically. Like we're like sitting next to each other in front of the TV and we're like, and his dad's sitting behind us watching it. And we're like, if we get scared or we turn around, this movie gets turned off. So we were both frightened out of our minds, but also knowing we turn around and let him know we're frightened. And that just made it even more tense. Yeah. And that was one of the most exhilarating experiences watching a movie. And I think I'm kind of chasing that ever since. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. It was just wild. And then the other was, um, oddly enough, Dream Warriors, which I, I, I referenced in this film. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I remember going to see a, we were at a drive-in and my dad had a moonroof. And I would get to sit up at the top of the moonroof and like look ahead. And I remember I turned around because behind, playing behind me in the drive-in was, and I couldn't hear it, but I could see it. I could see the images. And those images enough were were pretty like seared into my brain. So that just really instilled this love for all of this. And I just became infatuated with all things horror. But to, you know, junior high and high school, one of my first jobs was clearly at a video store. Yes, I worked there. I was the guy. I was the horror guru. They came in. <laughs> if they had a movie that they liked, they, and I'm, we're talking 16 year old me. And they would say, Oh, you know, go talk to Aaron. You know, I had my shelf. I had my thing. I was a little bit of Sam in the first movie, but not quite as annoying, hopefully. <laughs> um, but I was the person who's like, You haven't seen this. You've got to clear your schedule. Like, this is, shit is the best. <laughs> you know, tape trading, all that. Evil Dead 2 that I got on VHS and tape, you know, trading that around forever. You know, so all of that just became this like huge, huge part of all this. And then 
I'd say the last influence I'd bring up would be Jaws. Jaws is my all-time favorite film. Um, I got a tattoo of it. It's, uh, you know, I, I just, I love sharks as a kid too. It was just like, you know, this whole thing culminating for me. And that was my kind of, how did they make that? Like, I just didn't understand. I, I was learning that there were filmmakers and I learned that there were directors, but I didn't know what that meant. And then someone had a book, like my aunt or someone had a book about Jaws. And then there was a picture and it's like, there's a shark and it's not coming out of the water. And you see this guy with a megaphone and a hat and this big beard, you know, and I'm like, who's that? And they're like, that's the director. That's Steven Spielberg. And I'm like, wait, what does he do? He's like, well, he, he comes up with this whole world and he decides how these things are made and all this. And I was like, oh my God, like, that's what I want to do. Like, and it just changed my world. Um, but then I, I, I pushed that down for a very long period of time because I just didn't think it was possible, you know, and I still, I don't know if my mom still thinks it's possible. I will say, <laughs> um, even having made, you know, 15 plus movies at this point, uh, as a producer at least. So, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, I, I've always been, I, I am a complete cinephile through and through in every sense of the word, went to film school, you know, I, I, I just, you know, my, when I'm not making movies, I'm watching movies, when I'm not writing movies and talking about movies, you know, I, it's just what permeates in my veins in every way, shape, or form. Great origin story. Just what I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, your story is insane, Aaron. Like, <laughs> you know, you like went to full sale, right? I did. And then you took a detour for 10 years and you worked on video games. Yeah. Yeah. That was an odd one too. Yeah. You guys did your research. So there definitely was a period of time there where, so I graduated from full sale was working freelance, you know, just doing whatever job I could get. It did not matter. I just wanted to be on set. Um, I have been fired from some of the greatest people. Uh, Michael Mann was one of my favorite firings ever. <laughs> instead of Ali. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that story. Real quick. He, uh, yeah, I please. Was, <laughs> I was working as uh, basically a camera intern at that time on the movie, on Ali. And this was in Miami. And I, so I was really excited about it. Like, you know, I was getting to learn. I really wanted to kind of get into camera at that time. Cause at that, at that time, I didn't think there was a path to be a director. I just thought maybe I could be a DP or a camera operator. I thought that was basically it. Maybe, you know, a co-producer or something. And I remember walking over to uh, the, the, I was at the, um, uh, the crafty sand, right. So where all the food is and stuff like that. And someone asked me to get something. Oh, Hey, can you help me? So I like reach over and I grab something. While I was grabbing it, I'm kind of like bent over. Michael Mann came over and I guess it was like his coffee or something like wasn't right. And he was mad because it wasn't right so many times in a row. And let's just say this is a very fiery guy. He, um, and there's plenty of stories online that you can read about. He got so mad, like threw us on the table, started to try and flip the table and fired the crafty guy. And then he turned to me and I'm on that side of the table and I got fired too, but I wasn't crafty. Right, right, right. And, You're just standing turned, there. <laughs> I'm just standing there. I'm just standing there. And I turned, I turned to like one of the production coordinators, managers, whatever that were there. And I'm like, uh, but I'm not even crafting. He's like, but Aaron, he thinks you are. So you got it. <laughs> That's it. And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck? You know, so um, sorry, cursing if I don't know if that's cool oh, enough, please. But, oh yeah. Okay, okay. Anyway, oh, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? So that was that was an interesting one. And then I almost got fired another time because I was on the set of the Punisher and uh, the Thomas Jane Punisher. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- basically I was, I was working the outside of, uh, the studio stage that was there and in comes in, uh, John Stamos and he's like wanting to get in because he, Rebecca, he was married to Rebecca Romaine at the time. 
and who was on the movie and he's like wanting to get into the stage and I couldn't, you know, I'm like, Hey, I can't let you in. And he was getting pretty, pretty mad about not getting let in. And I'm like, look, this is my job. Like, I can't let you in right now. I'm, I'm just here to like, keep his door locked up and the red lights on, like, you gotta stay away, dude. And that was it. And then he comes in and he's just like being a dick about it, you know, and I'm sure he's wonderful now and all this stuff, but um, probably just <laughs> going through something at the time. But uh, he turned and then uh, and I was like, fuck, John. I was like, um, Uncle Jesse's a dick. And then <laughs> he heard that and it was like, was like, like right in my face, oh. told them and they they were, <laughs> they sent me home for the day, but I got to come back when he went. So yeah. <laughs> I would, I would gladly get fired for saying Uncle Jesse's a dick. John <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, and I'm a Jesse and the Rippers fan. I'm like, what's going on, dude? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like we got, we got something here we could do, but yeah, it didn't happen. Aaron, I'm curious, you know, when I'm, when I'm watching Scare Package 2, I'm seeing all of the different references, all the jokes, all the ideas that are happening in each of the shorts. I'm curious how much collaboration there was between you and the other filmmakers. Did they just go and do their thing? Or was that something that you were in communication with them? Did you craft the stories together? How did that work? Well, if I can, if I can add on, like the last short, goes into your end your your final act mm-hmm. and they have to reference the movies that inspired the last short yeah well and that's why so i wrote the last short so the last short was written by myself and cameron so that one oh, that's okay. why that one ties a little more perfectly in right. but i will say that intention existed with the other three as well and we do it a little bit you know like there's we talk about you know beer bongs and parties and all this and welcome to the nineties. And then you get there and there's a beer pong table, you know, with like uh, barbed wire and stupid stuff. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, this is just silly. Like, well, that's that, what was so fun about sauce. Was that, like, ca- was that cabin in the woods reference? Like when all oh, of with the, with the thing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Thank yep. you. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm going to do a force field. I'm going to do the cabin in the woods. Force field. You know what I mean? So it's just all these things. It was like, if there's an opportunity, like make it kind of look like that or even sound like that you know, different things that can just be like fun little references. But as far as the shorts go, you know, yeah. So we were involved in all of them and definitely were kind of honing in on what those stories were, but those filmmakers still got to make what they wanted to make, you know? So it was a combination of things where, you know, I'll use like Jed Shepard who did special edition that came from when I was a kid, I remember getting the laser disc of three men and a baby to pause it to try and watch the ghost. Same. Like, I know. I, oh my God. I was like, I can't believe this is in this movie. I forgot about this. Where did I that come from? I had never heard of it. Oh, oh my, God. my God. I don't know if it was a cultural thing or like where. Oh but my God. Like in Florida growing up, this was like the Tampa area. All my friends were freaked out by the three minute baby ghost. Yep. Like we all yep. believed it. Yep. It was like a thing. And, and I remember when Laserdisc came out, we got like Star Wars and Tombstone and Raiders Lost Ark and then Three Men and a Baby. Just to pause it. And- Just to pause it because yes. it, was a, I could, it was like a digital thing that I could go frame by frame and I could really see him. And we had like a bigger screen too. And I was like, this is my way to find out. Like I'm going to see this baby, you know, this dead kid or whatever it is. I grew up in Maine and same thing. We were all yeah. obsessed with the story of the kid that died on the set. Yeah, it's wild. And when I talked to Jed about it, he was the writer, producer, host. He was like, oh, I remember that too. And Jed's Jed's just like also another horror aficionado in every way. And so we kind of geeked out over that for a moment. And I was like, dude, but the the original goal of his segment was I wanted something that was J-horror. Because we're trying to focus on this 90s to 2000s kind of boon. And I was like, you can't do that and not have something that's J-horror. So like, 
what is a J-horror thing that we could do ring-esque, you know, grudge-esque that could kind of fit in? But then, and then I was like, well, and then I kind of pitched him. I was like, well, what if we do the three minute maybe ghost that kind of comes through and you know, to attack yeah. him. And then he went and he's like, I can get all the host girls. And I'm like, in, you know, yeah. so, so good. So that was fun. So like things like that would pop up, you know, with Anthony, um, who, you know, for the night he came back again, we already kind of had an established story. We talked about a few different ideas. He, he worked uh crew for us, an old man. And I remember on set, he would come up to me. He's like, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this? And we were like laughing at ideas and just kind of coming up with stuff. And, um, then they, they, they kind of, you know, came up with this one on their own for the most part after we kind of gave them some direction. And then, um, you know, and then we're developing these together. We're approving the scripts. We're, you know, we don't release a budget to them to make it until it's approved by us. And then sometimes we're like on set physically making it too. So like, welcome to the nineties, Alex Bredo segment. We were physically on set the whole time, like making that, but Jed, because he was in the UK, we couldn't be there. And same with Rachel Wiggins in Australia, she couldn't be there. So, you know, but we let them like, even Rachel, like we wrote that segment, but I let her kind of, I was like, you know, take a pass on the script, you know, like make it more Australian make it more you, you know, lean into this in the way that, that, you know, feels authentic to what you want to tell. So we definitely want our directors to make the movie they want to make. Um, but we give them parameters and are kind of like nursing throughout the process. And then the post-process they basically get to picture lock and then we are kind of final cut. I mean, I don't think we've ever, we might've like, you know, overruled one or two small things, but for the most part, it's very collaborative, you know, or it is very collaborative, but I don't think we've really had any contentious moments, but we kind of get to that. And then after that, we have the same sound designer, same composer, you know, same colorist. So that way there can have a little more cohesion, you know, and how these things come together, because that was something going into the first care package that was really important to me that it kind of even if these segments are very different they still feel like they're coming from that same world you know well it's, it's funny I, I mean just one comment even before i saw the final act when we're so dead came up as the final short i was taking notes about what movies i thought that that was being inspired by and then oh, when wow. the next segment came up in the video store and they were like, you have to find the four move. I was like, damn it. I, I, I was so pumped. Like, just, oh, man, like, that makes you so I happy. Had, I don't I, I guess I don't want to spoil it. I had way more movies. Um, than there the are more. There are, are there yeah, definitely there are way more. more. Yes, yeah. there are definitely way more. But there were like um, four I felt that were like the most obvious, you know, to yes, kind of play yes. off them. But, you know, it's interesting. I remember watching ABC's of Death and I, I like ABC's of Death, but one of the things that was the most fun for me in ABC's Death was when the segment ended, I wanted to know what the letter was, like what the yes. title was. So I was like, oh, that's fun. So I was like, how do we how do we play into that? And my one of my whole goals was to make this interactive, you know, because people talked about how we went so meta on the first film. How could you go more meta? I'm like, well, I know how. We'll literally watch the movies with the characters in the movie that they have to then solve, you know, riddles and clues that are placed within this. And, and, and then the audience is doing the same thing. So my hope always, and you're the first to say that. So it makes me very happy, Kevin, because my hope is that someone's watching it and then they're thinking about that. Cause they're like, Oh, there's going to be something here because you get yeah. the, by the time you get to that, that fourth place, 
you know, or third place, you know that at this time, how the rules of this and how this is going to work. So hopefully you're anticipating that. And then it's like, I know the answers. I know where they need to go, you know, and you're like, you know, feeding it to the audience. I, I really hope people are out there yelling like reanimator, like reanimator. Come on. Yeah. yeah. You know? it's, it's, I was the Hellraiser guy. <laughs> when when they're trying to find that particular movie and he's just saying the name of the movie over and over again (laughs) it gets funnier every time i watch it like oh that's so great you would think it would just be dull um one of the things that you you just hinted on that i wanted to ask you about because uh you know you were a producer on blood relatives um we just had josh on the show yeah he's Uh, the best ruben and one thing i wanted to ask you and and he had kind of talked about this in our episode on all the things that you produce on, how often are you, if you can be, because you mentioned that Jed uh, is in the UK and uh, Rachel is in Australia. How often as a producer are you on set a majority of the time, even if you're not, you know, obviously you're producing, you're not directing. But how much time will you spend like on one of the movies that you're working on? I mean, I was on set every single day for Blood Relatives. I was there every day of prep. I mean, that was made in Austin, Texas. That's all my crew. Um, I mean, I on all the only movie that I well, there's two movies that I wasn't on set the whole time that we produced. One was Revealer that came out. That's because literally it was so early in the pandemic, it wasn't possible to do. Like I was going to fly up there to Chicago, and we didn't even have rules for how to do the pandemic filming yet. So I mean, that's why some of that. If you've seen that movie, some of that movie is like two people in two different booths talking to each other because we couldn't keep them in the same room for too long. So I couldn't be there for that. But other than that, I'm, I'm there for all of them. Like old man, every single day, you know, that was my baby kind of nursing that, you know, blood relatives. Noah pitched me that movie three years ago. You know, I was there every single day on set. I was actually doing the data transfer on set because we couldn't afford a different DIT. So I was just doing it, you know, to help out. Um, wow. It's whatever I'm there to do, whatever needs to get done. Shelby Oaks every day. Yeah. I mean, every, every movie I'm there every day. The, the Requin? Every single day on the right now. Okay. Interesting. That's a, that's a look. I heard you, you were talking positively about our films. Let's talk about one that you should not be talking positively back. I think the record is horrible. I didn't think so. Oh my uh, God. I'm so, I do not like that movie. Like, oh. I, I, I am. I think Alicia is great. I think that, you know, I think yet did, did a great job, you know, with always there, but that's a movie that like, man, I made an eight and a half foot with, with Ryan Shadowley, this amazing makeup effects artist. You know, we made an eight and a half foot mechanical shark and that thing is not in that movie at all. And, yeah. and that yeah. frustrates me so much. And the CGI that's in it is not even finished. Like yeah. that movie was sent to Lionsgate. I probably shouldn't be saying all this, but that movie was sent to Lionsgate and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even finished. So like, it's, um, there's some frustrations with that one. You know, there's, this, there's still a few moments that I'm really proud of. You know, and we learned how to make a movie on the water. Alicia was just such a such a joy. James was such a joy. It made all of that on the back lot, you know, um, at, at Universal, which was really really cool. Um, so had had a great time with my my people and our crew. And yeah, I was there every single day for that as well. But um, it was, <laughs> it's uh, you know that one's uh, that one hurts a little bit. Well, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I was kind of like, where's the shark? But I will say I I loved how many times I thought the movie was over and it wasn't over. I loved like I kept thinking yeah. like, all right, she's got away from the shark now. The shark can't possibly get her like she's in a restaurant. Where's And then like, nope, the shark is still coming. I really appreciated that. I kept thinking like <laughs> this has got to be the end. Nope, 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 shark. Um, 
it, it seemed to me because I was anticipating that movie before it came out. I mean, Alicia Silverstone doing a shark movie. This is going to be great. Was there a decision at some point made? We're not going to follow through with a ton of post release or we're not going to do a ton of promotion on this at release because I felt like I saw a bunch of stuff about it. And then I felt like it's maybe got dropped a little bit. And I, I was like, what happened to that? Oh, oh, it's out. It's on Hulu. Was that was there a decision? Do you make that kind of decision? Like, are we going to just kind of like not market it as hard as we might? <laughs> no, I mean, that was one where we didn't have control. So okay. we were hired to we were the only producers on set. Myself, Cameron and Ashley Sneed, two of my producing partners and Cameron Burns, who co-created Scary Package with me. We were there every single day. We ran that set. Um, and it, but we just weren't we were in control of the set day to day. But we were getting orders from our partners in LA and they were kind of telling us things they wanted to see done. And uh, if we disagreed, we had to move forward with those things. Um, you know, and some rightfully their side and some rightfully our side. And, you know, it was complicated, but um, th- that was definitely a lesson learned. But yeah, and then once it got into post, like I literally was not allowed to be as involved anymore on the movie and because I had a lot of opinions and as a producer, like, I mean, I will fight tooth and nail to the last moments to make every movie the best possible movie it is, especially my names on it. Like, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight to make it the best it can. And, um, you know, I think maybe I probably went, uh, I was a little too anxious and wanting to fix things that, um, you know, some other folks didn't want to. And to their credit, you know, that might have been the right decision because the movie did. It actually was very successful. <laughs> you know, it was done very well. Um, but the marketing and all that, that would come on to Saban and Lionsgate for what they decide. Because basically they'll see the movie at the end and then they decide what they want to do with it, right? you know, and how that's going to go. So we, but that wasn't, whereas, you know, things like Scare Package 2 and Sorry About the Demon that's upcoming and Blood Relatives and all that, I'll I'll be speaking with AMC, Shutter, we'll be talking, but we'll be engaged together and working stuff out and how we promote it. So a um, little bit of a different animal. And it's really illuminating because producer, and we talk about this on the podcast, the producer credit is one of the most mysterious to us as as viewers. When when we see written by, screenplay by, directed by, we know what those things mean generally. Mm-hmm. But when we see producer, and there's sometimes there's four producers, five producers, three, what does that mean? It sounds like for you, it means being on set, being hands-on. Do you have like a definition of what being a producer on a film means to you? Well, I mean, I don't know how to say this, you know, I don't want to be blunt, but uh, we're real producers. <laughs> so what yeah. I mean is um, we're there every step of the way. We're there from con- conception all the way through delivery and what's going on. Now, the Requiem, again, gotcha. wasn't able to be that, but I tried. I tried my damnedest right. to be a part of that process. Right. But everything else, it's like we are deciding what movies are made. We are raising the money. We are hiring the crew. We are putting together the team and we are facilitating every logistical item to make sure that these things work the right way. Um, you know, I'm by monitor. I'm listening. Even if I'm not by monitor, I'm listening to the actors, you know, during takes. So if I hear somebody getting frustrated, I can hurry right over to set and I'm the one to put out the fire. Um, you know, we step in whenever. So, you know, we make a lot of indie films and, you know, the budgets are never enough. So we're constantly, when I say we're, it's usually, there'll be different producing partners from Paper Street. So like, you know, it's me and Cameron or me and Alex or me and Ashley or some combination or Alex and Ashley or Cameron and Ashley, like, and different combinations of who's there at different times. But like, you know, maybe we're the ones driving the actors to set because we want to save the money. Maybe we're the ones going to make a run. 
you know, but there's always one producer from Paper Street on set by monitor at all times for every okay. movie that we're doing. And that's very important to me in, in how I've kind of set up our structure and what we do. But I mean, we've also had times where we had two movies shooting at the same time. You know, we had Shelby Oaks and a creature was stirring were overlapping at the exact same time. So Cameron and I and Ashley, we were all on Shelby Oaks and then Cameron moved over to a creature was stirring, you know, right after. And then I was finishing up some Shelby Oaks and then I came in and met with him later and all that. So, but yeah, I mean, look, when a, when an Oscar is given, it's given to the producer of the film, you know, and that's the produced by credit, right? So it's normally, you know, that's normally how you differentiate. Sometimes you'll say produced by versus producer. Um, but, right. uh, but look, okay. I mean, if you're a producer, like a full producer, producer on the movie, um, you know, typically you've earned that credit in some way. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is, it is a thing that sometimes credits are given to people, you know, for, for varying reasons, but, um, that's okay. I mean, look, the people in the know that are making the movies, they know, they know that when I'm a producer on a movie, they know that I'm producing that movie, you know? So, um, and, uh, it's hard to kind of escape me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love, I love the honesty. Um, that's great. Cause we, we, we see that a lot, I think in our genre, in the horror genre. Um, so I'll, I'll go all the way back before I bring us all the way, uh, all the way back to early times before I bring us all the way back to scare package two and some of your more recent things. One of the things, earliest things you did was executive produce starry eyes. Mm. with Alex Esso and Noah Segan. Mm -hmm. Love that movie. I love that movie. It's fantastic. And and I also think that both of those actors that I just mentioned do not get the credit that they deserve um, in in not just our respective genre, but but overall. Um, And I think I understand now what you did on that film. Uh, I think you just described that. So I, I, I don't need to belabor. Well, I will say, well, no, I will, I will say, I will clarify though. That, so is that I was the executive producer on that. So I, that was more Travis. I want to give Travis, you know, he was the, he was the lead producer on that movie. I definitely had opinions. What was there? I definitely visited, uh, you know, but it wasn't, that was a little bit of me kind of learning the process at that time, okay. you know, and I wanted to learn from Travis. So that was important to me and, and wanted to make sure that I was just on enough email threads and kind of seeing how this stuff gets made, you know, for the most part. So that's really where that goes. And I think that that credit still goes to Travis, I would say more, more than anyone else. Um, but after that, you know, I would say camera obscura onward. That's when I, you know, we really kind of pushed paper street pictures and kind of came up with a structure, but I learned a lot from Travis, you know, and that credit goes to him. And I always look at him as um, he's a good friend and, uh, and a mentor, you know, I've looked up to Travis for awesome. years and, you know, and I love seeing, you know, what he's doing now to wound fun is just fantastic. And, He's just, uh, you know, really coming to his own. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm very proud to have my name in any way, shape or form on Starry Eyes because it's a wonderful film. Uh, but to go all the way back to Scare Package and to everything that you just talked about, this all ties in, I, I promise. <laughs> everything that you're talking about, like you bring somebody like Jed Shepard on, who was a writer on Host and, and Dashcam and was working with Rob Savage. You give him a chance to direct a segment. Uh, Rochelle Wiggins that you talked about, I think this is her first directorial effort but she's worked on some major things like alien covenant uh like a lot of art department stuff star wars even well, like episode one yeah. and stuff yeah crazy yeah, show. yeah. yeah. i yeah. mean some of the things that that i love talking to you guys about is how 
everybody is, and this is like Josh mentioned this, everyone's dropping the bucket back down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Trent, like Daniel Martin, like I want to get into the effects, like Daniel Martin's doing effects on Scare Package too. He's worked on, in, he's worked on almost every movie that we've ever talked about on our podcast. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how are you pulling these people together and keep, why is this such a movement, the horror movement? Why is it such a community that is constantly just giving back to each other and helping each other? Yeah, you know, well, I'm glad you picked up on that because I, I think it's important. And especially, you know, one of the reasons why we created Scare Package was we were so frustrated making Camera Obscura, my first movie, that I was like, you know what, we can do this. We can kind of produce stuff. And then if I was going to be directing at that time, it was, you know, Paper Street was just kind of a vehicle for my directorial efforts. And I was like, well, I want to work with all these amazing directors that I, we, we had been on the short film circuit with and kind of like really dug, you know, and or people who were crew that were like desperate to break in as a director. And these were just people that we we loved and wanted to work with. And And I was like, well, the way to do that is an anthology. Because then we're pulling and if an anthology that's all privately funded, then no one's telling me who to hire. It's like I can hire Courtney and Hillary Andahar in the first film who are just production designers on everything because I thought they had a really unique sensibility to do a Jalo segment. You know, I can give Noah Segan his first directorial effort because I knew that he needed to do something for us to be able oh, to get blood relatives that was, made. That was the Mr. segment? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that that was the first thing he directed. That's incredible. Yeah. That was the first thing he had directed. You know, uh, Emily Higgins was having trouble getting her new feature going. And she's like, yeah, people don't want to do horror comedy. And I was like, well, let's do a horror comedy with scare package. And now we have sorry about the demon as a feature that's, that's being made. That's coming out in January that I think you guys will really dig as well. And, you know, so, so much of this and Rachel had done segments in dead house dark, which was an Australian um, little limited series that was on shutter as well. But and then she was about to do the new Wolf Creek sequel, but hadn't wow. really done, you know, hadn't needed needed that opportunity to show her directorial efforts. So we look at that all the time, you know. And I think, you know, it's it's who makes the most sense uh, given the circumstances, you know. But but there is there is just this weird kind of like I got you kind of <laughs> mentality to everything where. You know, every any success in horror is everyone's success in horror, you know, and and there's just something kind of special about that. And and then once you do that, I mean, I can't tell you like how many people that like I've known and, you know, like I said, we made these short films with and stuff and we became friends and like now are doing some of the biggest things in, in the business. And I don't know. It's like you kind of feel like we're all doing it together in some way like yeah. um because you know someone's that those people are going to blow up and then one day i'm going to need a job from them <laughs> you right, know? Yeah, yeah. Right. and maybe they'll remember too um but but i think that's just the way to kind of get it done and also you're making it on such a budget you know we're, we're really big about the dollars go on the screen the dollars go on the screen so how do you do that it's you empower someone you know it's it's one thing to take someone who's done a ton of stuff and say sum it with me, you know, I'm not gonna give you a lot of money and do this. And look, you have, you'll have a few of those that'll get sprinkled in, but, but I think you really get something inspired where you're saying, I'm going to give you your shot. And then they want to put everything in it. And the next thing, you know, they're as passionate about their segment as I am about the whole movie. And then that's when you get some symbiosis. That's just really, really fun. Well, that makes me um, think of blood oath 
which was yeah. a consulting firm that you started. Yeah, wearing a Blood Oath shirt, yeah. Okay, is, uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is Blood Oath uh, still a thing? You started that in 2020? Yeah, yeah, it's still a thing. You know, join the bloodoath.com and, and uh, we have a meeting next week and we're still working with different projects and things that are there. And that was built out of our frustration of seeing friends of mine and filmmakers that I knew who'd be like, oh yeah, I just did a deal and I, I signed with so-and-so. And I'm like, oh my God, why'd you do that? Like you should have sent it to me and I could have helped you. And and then I also, as a filmmaker, I kept getting hit up by all these people who were like, pay me money and I'll tell you what to do. And I was like, well, this is tough. Like as a filmmaker, you're so desperate to get your movie out there. And there's some, not all, but there's some predatory services that exist within that. And I was like, this is, this is not good. Like this is not good. So when Fangoria, this is back in the, the you know, when the Dallas Sarnier group had owned it, um, when they kind of fell apart, there were some folks I was working with there. And it's like, why don't we turn this into an opportunity, you know, before Tara and, and her, her colleagues had bought it. And I was like, why don't we just put together a group and let's just see if we can help other filmmakers who, who are like, I don't know what to do, but I got a kick-ass idea. I'm going to work really hard. You know, I got $50,000 from my uncle and I'm going to try and figure something out. And they don't know where to go or what to do. And I was like, let's create something where we can help them. And to this day, you know, with Blood Oath, like we're, we don't take money up front on movies you know, I mean, look, if a studio calls us or something like that, we've done some consulting things for like larger people. That's a different thing altogether. But like when it comes to indies, we're not taking money up front. We're just saying, okay, let's let's help you get this going. And then if we can make it successful, then we can share in that success with you. And that's that's really all that it's about. Um, you know, we kind of think of it as like pro bono attorney work, you know, like helping out, like, you know, just someone who's like, I need someone to defend me. Right now, and this, you know, like I, I'm, I'm innocent. I swear. Right. <laughs> I need someone to defend me, and you need, you need to kind of do that. And we're, we're there to defend those innocent filmmakers who are trying to get that movie made. And that's why the motto is, you know, making scary movies less scary to make. You know, we're, we're right. trying to, to help them. So it's still there. You know, we're just so busy that it's hard to kind of. There'll be like a project or two. Like we have the Artifice Girl. That's a sci-fi film um, that won Best International Feature at Fantasia. That's uh, coming out next year, you know, and that has Lance Hendrickson. It's not a horror thing, but it's really, really poignant piece of filmmaking by Franklin Rich. That was a blood oath project. And then Sorry About the Demon that I'm doing with Emily Higgins um, that comes out uh, in January. We'll announce that date very soon uh, via Shutter. That's also a blood oath project. So, and then Old Man. Old Man was our first blood oath project. So, so you know, we're, we're we're getting a few things out there, and and uh, we got a couple more that are unannounced that we're trying to get off the ground. So, I've I've been wondering if you have uh, clones, Aaron, <laughs> or if you do, like if you don't sleep at night because I I follow you on social media and I keep up with all the stuff you're doing, and I'm really I'm wondering uh, coming into to this episode, how do you find the time? How do you do all this? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it is one of those things where so deliberately we were going to make a movie this fall and I decided not to because we had all these movies that were coming out and I was like, I, I need to kind of take a step back. And I've been traveling a ton. I've been going all over the world in Helsinki, London, Brussels, showing our films to people because I needed to kind of reground myself and not become just this like, factory, um, you know, as far as what's there. I mean, I will say the number one reason is my partners at Paper Street Pictures, right? Like, you know, Cameron Burns, who's been my creative partner for years, you know, will take up so much slack. Pa Alex Uding, who's our post supervisor, you know, and helps us for our delivery of all our movies. I mean, we, 
we delivered seven movies this year, you know, to different distributors, you know, so that's, that's a huge thing. We've, um, you know, we've got Farrell Rose, Sean Talley, Ashley Sneed, who's, who's my line producer. Uh, we just brought on Zena Dixon as well. Um, who's been helping us, you know, freelance. And I, I think it's like, you kind of create a team, you know, and, and you empower them to do what they need to do. And, and, um, uh, you know, for me, I just love this so much that it's hard to kind of, I don't want to stop. Now I will say there is part of me that's kind of in this weird, uh, and I'm trying to get better about this. My girlfriend's a life coach and she's helping me with this, which is, by the way, having a girlfriend as a life coach, uh, when you're a filmmaker is a wonderful thing. Yeah, um, sounds good. But, uh, you know, I'm always, I always kind of have the, I suffer from this idea that if I don't get the next movie out, they're going to realize I'm a fraud because if the last movie doesn't is doesn't hit you know so i'm like i'm like cycling and churning and then i'm I'm also i'm like okay so somehow some way they've like let me in to like the cool bar and i'm sitting by the cool table and i'm just waiting for the bouncer to be like who the fuck is that get him out of here (laughs) so i'm like i gotta say yes i gotta make all these movies you know so they can like realize i'm part of the part of the clan um you know part of the team so but uh you know, look, I think when you love what you're doing as much as I do, it doesn't become ours or whatever. And um, I do have, you know, I have a work I think I'm proud of. And um, I take I do take a lot of pride in this idea that we don't talk about movies uh, as much as we, we we just go out and make it. Talk about making movies. We actually make the movies, you know. And, um, you know, so that's something that. I, I don't know. I, I just, in the industry, there's a lot of this like chatter, 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 like, oh, I got 10 movies in this slate and I'm doing this. And I'm like, you know, and then none of that stuff happens. And, and I'm like, oh, that's, I don't want to be in that. So I just wake up every day thinking, how am I moving forward these projects? And at the end of that day, if I haven't moved those projects forward, then I got to double time it the next day. And I mean, and that's, that's been my, kind of adage with this for the last, you know, four or five years, you know, and, um, you know, the pandemic for us, oddly enough, was a very successful venture because we were one of the companies that knew how to make movies safely. So people realized that, and then they would come to us. And then we were also the company that could, the pale door was an eye-opening experience because that was a movie that we were told was impossible to be made for under $2 million. And we didn't have anywhere near that. And they're like, there's no way you're going to get that movie made. And then we did. And then it was successful and, you know, all this. So people were like, oh, when Aaron says he's going to do something, he actually does it. And uh, yeah, so that became kind of like a sense of pride. And we wear that on our sleeves and we uh, get up every morning and prepared to do it again. You know, you got one of your childhood heroes, Joe Bob Briggs, who got you into horror. To say welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> and you got Sam to pop out of the TV to do the Freddy scene from that movie. Um, look, Scare Package Two. Uh, it's it's going to be out the twenty second uh, of this month on Shutter. Um, which I honestly I had been looking every single day leading up to this interview that I was so excited for. I was like, I can't find a release date. And then you posted it, and I was like, Oh, okay. Great. So yeah. this will be out next week uh, and the movie will be out the 22nd. Um, I got to ask you two final questions. One, tell me what your favorite segment is from Scare Package 1 and 2. Oof, oof. Um, yeah, I well, know. For, yeah, well, first I will say 
getting Sam's head to the TV was like a wild idea. And I'm so glad <laughs> I pulled that off. Um, so good. Actually, our actors were not, I, I, because of timing, I couldn't shoot with our actors in the room at the same time. So they never saw him come through the TV and he never got to work with the actors. So everything he's doing is just me standing in every spot and just like yelling shit back to Sam. And he's like arguing with me and I'm creating eye lines for him to do all that. And then I was the voice, of the puppet. And then I would like argue with him as the puppet um, and all that, which was fun. But um, God, you know, my favorite segment, like it, it honestly changes. So I think at the time of the first scare package, I loved Anthony Cousins' segment. Then he came back again, part four, the final kill. There just were like a couple really great kind of like, I love the character performances that he got out of that. Uh, one Time in the Woods is like the one everybody points to and for good reason. It's just so yeah. absurd and so funny. Um, but I mean, I would say, you know, obviously I'm not going to pick the things that I did. I don't count that as a segment um, as the full movie, but like probably, you know, Cold Open, Emily Hagen's Cold Open might be my favorite now. Because it's there's just this like there's real heart to it, and and something I wrote a thing for Letterbox last year, sometime in the last couple of years, and uh, I made it. They were like, "Hey, you want to talk about movies?" And I was like, "Well, I, I will, but I'm gonna make a different list." And I made a list that I called "Horror with Heart," and it kind of became this uh, mantra for us at Paper Street. And and I think Emily really captures that in such a in such a unique way that because the original ending of Scare Package One. You know, John Michael's character, Mike Myers, did not show up at the end. I watched her segment and I was so in love with it that I was like, we need to bring him back. And then the the main reason I will say, too, is my friend was working on Alita Battle Angel and he had a bunch of explosives left over in Austin. And he's like, dude, you want to blow up some shit? Like, I got all this stuff. It's going to go bad. (laughs) It was kind of like that moment in Hot Rod. He's like, I have some fireworks. Do you want to blow them up? And I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, well, this car that we had at the end of Scare Package, we bought this old VW and we got so much blood in it that they made us buy it. So we just wow. ruined it. So I was like, well, I got a, I got this stupid car that I own. Why don't we blow up the car? Wow. You know? So then I rewrote an ending and and did that and, and brought John Michael, you know, in to play Mike Myers again. And it just, it just gave this, it allowed the ending of the film to have that heart that comes through in his character, which is this like hopeful optimism that like, maybe just maybe, you know? And I was like, man, that's, he's like running from an actual exploding car, you know, smiling, just ear to ear grinning. And that just like worked for me. So, and I, and that wouldn't have happened had Emily not created that character in cold open. So I think that's probably, you know, something that that's really special. And then, in the new scare package, I would say it, it's tough. There's two for me. So I do love We're So Dead. I think what Rachel did, she just took what we wrote and just made it so fun. Those four kids are so great. And I just, there's a, there's a line delivery where, you know, she's like, was it, a, was going to Mount Everest a bad idea? And he's like, for some people, like <laughs> the way he says that just cracks me up every single time. And, you know, and then the cat thing, like, it's just, it's just really funny. But um, I, I would have to say probably also like Alex Barreto's segment, the opening one, Um, you know, welcome to the nineties. Like I just, so good. So good. He, yeah. Again, it's, it, it took these tropes. And I remember when we like decided to do those cards and I was helping her like write up the different, you know, like for, for the different, you know, um, the Texan and chainsaw and like how to overtly point out like which, you know, which final girl trope they were mm-hmm. and their names and all this stuff. Cause we had their names in the script. It was like, how do we get across 
because they don't look like those people. So how do we get across who they are representing? And that became a really fun thing. And she also shot that so energetically, like just moved the camera really smartly. She's just a very intelligent filmmaker. Um, and, and I just really, I was really, it was fun to watch her work and I, I learned stuff watching her work quite frankly. And, um, you know, so, but I mean, you know, like I just, all of these are made with so much heart and, you know, no one's making money on scare package. All these directors are just like bringing everything they got to it. And, and that makes it, they makes them all so special, you know? So you you led right into my my final question is <laughs> cold open is amazing. And when I started to get teased that there was a sequel to the night he came back, I was like, I'm going to see John Michael Simpson in this one. <laughs> and I was so disappointed. But then I saw that you have sorry about the demon and that John Michael Simpson is in that. Yeah, he's a uh, lead. He's a lead in that. You yeah. have so, and, and Emily Hagens is, is directing that. Uh, you have so much coming up in 2023 alone. Again, you just said you were taking a step back. You're not, Aaron. The internet <laughs> will, will prove you to be a liar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I did, I mean, there's so many people can look. I want to know more about Sorry About the Demon, but I also want to know more about the bunker. I can't find a lot about the bunker other than it looks like we have some legends in it, like Tony Todd, yeah. Tobin Bell, mm-hmm. uh, Chelsea Edmondson, who was just recently in, in uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what you have coming up, because you're not slowing down, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I will say slowing down on the fact that I'm not taking on as many new films that are getting started, you know, as far as what's there. So we have a couple of things that are going to happen either way. And then um, I have one big thing I'm trying to get off the ground and that we're kind of focusing on that, but yeah. So goodness. So we have the artifice girl, sorry about the demon. Um, and then we have a creature restoring. That's with Chrissy Metz, scout Taylor Compton. Um, that's from uh, the, the director of Cleansing Hour, Damien Levesque. Um, okay. That's a Christmas horror. That's Christmas. Massive creature stuff in that. Like massive creature stuff. Yes. Tate Steinsack, who did a lot of our um, effects and then created the puppet from Rat from uh, Rad Chats here. He he did those effects and just slayed it. And then, um, you know, and then The Bunker. So Brian's film, it's just, it's a wonderful film. It's just taking a long time to kind of get some of our VFX finished. So we thought we had that in a good spot and then we kind of went a different direction and what we're doing there. So um, it's an indie film. So you kind of, you're taking your time not to spend, to throw money at the problem when we knew we could sit on it and wait. So we are doing that, but yeah, Tobin Bell, Tony Todd, Chelsea, it's a, it's a great cast. It's a sci-fi horror um, that, uh, you know, sci-fi little alien invasion kind of horror thing. So it's uh, that's fun. You know, that should be ready here in the spring um and then i would say you know the biggest movie we have upcoming though is shelby oaks which is chris stuckman's uh you know feature debut you know we broke all kinds of records on kickstarter raising that one and have a huge announcement coming with that movie soon um it is i was just in la as we were trying to lock picture on it and the same editor from blood relatives and scare me that josh rubin introduced me to uh patrick lawrence he's editing that for us right now and um man that movie is uh special it's special so awesome. yeah so it's 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 fun you know um we definitely have that and then i i have something i'm directing upcoming as well that's unannounced you know so far so um you know uh we're going to we're going to keep at it and see see what that is but um you know again 
I, I say I'm going to slow down, but then people come to me and talk about movies and I'm like, Oh, that excites me. I kind of want to help make that, you know, right. and I can't, right. I can't say no at that time. Well, in, in light of, especially in light of all you've got going on, we really appreciate the time that you spent with us here. Um, I could talk to you for hours, Aaron, and I'm sure Kevin could too. I, I do want to just say that you, you didn't want to pick your own parts of um, Scare Package 2. I think Scare Package and Scare Package 2 both boast the best wraparound of any anthology. I think the common uh, weak part of a lot of horror anthologies is that wraparound, if there even is one. This is, like, so strong. The movie is so funny. Legitimately funny. I'm kind of a stickler on horror comedy. It's not always my number one thing. It is very, very funny. We didn't even get to the soundtrack. I mean, Heart of Thunder. It's so good. Everything about this movie works. From Rad. So good. And we haven't given a shout-out to Jeremy King, who plays Rad Chad. So that has to be a big one. Look, if you're going to do a finale song that has Rad Chad, what is Rad Chad's song going to be? You know, and what is that going to be? And like, you're on a montage moment. I was like, well, I want the song from Rat, you know? So that was really cool to get. Um, and then, yeah, you know, Jeremy is the heart and soul of all of this, you know, like him and him and Byron and, and then, and then Zoe, who plays, you know, Jesse and Byron who plays Sam just kind of form this unique triangle of, you know, like just heart and soul and then annoyance at the doofus and then the complete sinister, like, like I've misunderstood everything about horror and I take it out <laughs> on everyone, you know, that, that Byron's character plays in Sam. And I know, love Sam. Is, so good. Yeah. Sam, I mean, he's cracking Rich Sommer who's in this movie, you know, and from Mad Men and everything like basically did it because of Byron, because of Sam. He's like, I just want to work with that guy. I think that guy's hilarious. Yeah. He is. And, he is. And, he is. And, yeah. Him when he, when he first, his entrance coming in, I, I mean, we are yes. having to edit out my laughs as that's happening, <laughs> that's you know, as he's, and when he first comes in, uh, you know, halfway through the film. So there's, um, you know, not really spoilers. He's in the trailer now. The trailer's out today and he's in it. Yeah. So, um, but uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but no, look guys, thank you so much. You know, just like I can, I can feel, you know, how much you've watched this and that you, you seem to actually really like it. And that means a lot to me because it. it's, you know, it's just a movie that, um, you know, I really, I really hope though that like, you know, you all can watch it with your partners too. And that there could be this thing where maybe we can recreate that video store moment. Right. So you sit at home and you're like, watch with your partner and they're like chuckling and they're laughing and they're like, and you're like, do you even know that that's a reference to Hellbound? Right, and then they're like, right. what's Hellbound? And the next thing you know, you're showing your partner Hellraiser to Hellbound. Yeah. Right. And then, so I have somehow in this like meta way, like created that VHS store experience again. I, that's the hope, right? I, mean, I don't want to get too grandiose here, but I have this like fun little idea that maybe this can happen. And, and inadvertently or deliberately scare package two ends up showing the horror world to more people and gets more people into horror because now they want to know what the references are. Right. And now I'm just, I'm, I'm now telling you about my favorite horror films all over again. Like I was 16 and like, exactly. that's when I'm like, Oh man, I, I, I hopefully tapping into something as we're trying to do. So thank you guys for fostering what that could potentially be. And uh, hopefully that happens for some people out there. I think it will scare package too is great. Check it out. December 22nd on shutter. Aaron, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, uh, all my pleasure. So yeah. All my pleasure. Thank you so much guys. We'll be watching. Yeah. We'll be following you, man. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Thank you.